Well, good morning. You can be seated. That would just be cruel and unusual punishment making you stand up the whole service. Well, hello. Welcome to 116 Bible Church. I'm 95% certain I know all of your faces. Um, but still, I'm very happy to see you. Uh, very happy to have you all here uh, so we can worship and serve the living God. On the first week of our new schedule, how's it working for everybody? Okay, yeah. I'm going to assume that's good. Okay, good. All right. Um, if, if you don't like it, you can let me know. Um, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. I can't turn myself off. I did. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be continuing our trek through 1 Samuel. I know I'm up here a little bit earlier in the rotation than you were probably expecting, but with next week being Easter, Brother Jeff is going to tackle that, and I'm going to keep us going through Samuel, so we're going to have fun together. 1 Samuel, we're going to be picking up in chapter 2, uh, in verse 12, where Brother Jeff left off last week, so that is 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Give you just a moment to find that. <clears throat> Again, 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. And if you are able, I ask that you would, please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, and then we'll pray and I'll have you sit back. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. And the word of God says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus he did in Shiloh, to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne, Lord, again to just give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. Lord, we have just been blessed with the opportunity to read your very words that you have spoken for your servants, and not just spoken, the Lord, that you have had recorded and translated for your servants all across the globe and all across time. What a blessing. What a marvelous act of grace. So, Lord, may we receive this morning your word as your word. And may we not take it for granted were treated casually, but with respect 
and with honor. Speak to us, O Lord, and above all else, show us Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so, 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 12. Where have we been so far? Well, so far, we met a man named Elkanah and his, his two wives, um, one of whom was having trouble conceiving and the other one who was not having trouble and was essentially taunting the other wife. And we see, we see the heartbreak um, of the woman who was having trouble conceiving and we see the tenderness with which her husband treats her. And we see not just her heartbreak, but her crying out to the Lord, so much so that in the temple at Shiloh, she is, uh, she is thought to be a uh, drunk or a mad woman or um, even a, um, some translations refer to it as uh, a worthless woman. She, she, she's thought to be essentially out of her mind um, or drunk. So... Um, so we see, we see this, and then the the priest, uh, the priest at the temple, essentially um, tells Hannah that she will conceive and bear a son. She takes that with her, and if you recall, she she thinks on that because not only did she remember the promise, she remembered the exact wording, and when she came back with her son um, a couple years later, she used that exact wording to remind the priest of who she was. Um, so we see. That um, we see that she uh, was not just crying out to God and not just holding on to the promise, but even pondering it, holding on to holding on to the exact wording. So much so that um, she comes back and she weans her child quickly. She uh, she does so quickly um, enough to fulfill her vow to the Lord to offer her son up to the Lord um, and. We saw last week, uh, the beginning of verse or chapter two, Hannah's exaltation, her prayer, her her song of worship to God, um, her song of worship, not just in in the receiving of the gift that He given, but in the giving up of the very thing she wanted most. And we see we see her not resenting the Lord or resenting her own vow. We see her. Glorifying God in that and honorably holding it up and fulfilling her vow. And we ended last week with Brother Jeff in verse 11 that Elkanah went to his home in Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And that really sets up um, where we're at today because we do not get a good impression of Eli's own sons. Um, Beginning right in verse 12, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Hard to get more descriptive than that, isn't it? Uh, the sons of Eli, your translation may say wicked men. If you have a, an older translation, it may say sons of Belial, which simply means sons of worthlessness, which means they were, these men were wicked men. And not wicked in the sense that we're all sinners, wicked in the sense that they were perverting the ordinances of God. And this, this is what we see here. The sons of Eli were worthless, wicked men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. 
and I chose um, um, the translation I chose to preach from today was intentional because I, I believe it flows I believe it gets the idea um, across that um, these men they did not know the Lord and they didn't know the custom of the priests with the people um, some translations tend to give the idea that they didn't know the Lord, but their custom was to do this. Um, I mean, both are fine translations, but the idea that what they were doing, I mean, it's really setting up what they were doing was not what God had prescribed. That's that's the idea here, is that um, what the author, what God is trying to get across is these men, not only did they not know God, they didn't know what he had commanded, and yet they were serving as priests in his temple. Now, at about this point, you're probably asking, where's Eli? What's Eli doing? If this, like, if what we're about to read is describing his sons serving in the same temple where he is serving as high priest, what, are, what is he doing? Why isn't he doing something? That's a great question. And we don't get an answer yet. That answer comes later in the chapter. But what we do see is the custom and the practices of these two sons of Eli. Their names were, you find out later, Hophni and Phinehas. And what it is they're doing, how they're perverting the sacrifices of the Lord. And that starts in verse 13. When any man was offering a sacrifice... The priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. So while the meat was boiling, and so essentially while, while the sacrifice was happening, the servant of the priest would come along with essentially a big meat hook. And verse 14 tells us they would thrust or plunge the hook into the, the container, the pot, the cauldron, the whatever. And whatever the meat fork pulled up, they would take and bring it to the priest for himself. Now, I don't know if you're aware. I'm sure you are. But just as a refresher, God is pretty specific in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy as to how the sacrifices are supposed to be done and what portion is supposed to go to the priests. He's pretty spot on. He doesn't leave a whole lot of room for using your best judgment. Um, we see in Leviticus 7 that he refers to um, the priest portion referred to as the breast and the right thigh. That's what goes to the priests. Because remember, the, the priests, that they lived off of, essentially, portions of sacrifices. Um, they, they weren't given land. They weren't given um, the, the, the priestly tribe of uh, Levi. They weren't given, they weren't given a land um, dispensation. They weren't given anything um, physical. They were given the job, the duties of carrying out the priestly order. And so what they survived on, so, I mean, without land, it's really hard to raise animals, livestock, without land. 
So if you don't have land, you're not raising livestock and cattle for yourself. So they survived off of the sacrifices from the other tribes. And God was saying, these portions are for you. Now, depending on um, what type of sacrifice it was, um, you, they may receive another portion, such as the shoulder and um, like cheek meat um, was another one. But regardless, it wasn't whatever you can get your grandma little hands on. And this is what's happening here, is that the servant of the priest, assumedly under the priest's orders, is going to these farmers, these ranchers, these their fellow tribesmen, and they're taking from them. They're taking not just the portion that was due them, but they're taking extra whatever their fork could pull out of the cauldron. They were robbing the people of God. They were essentially fleecing the flock and doing so in a way that was not that was not just inconsiderate of their fellow Israelites, but was completely disregarding the ordinances of God. But they didn't stop there. Verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. Now we have a big problem. A much bigger problem. Now they're not just stealing the portion for the people. Now they're stealing the portion set aside for God. That's a big problem. That is a big issue. They're going to they're going to their fellow Israelites and saying we, they don't want the priests don't want boiled meat. Give them raw meat. Cut off the portion. Give them raw meat. And again, God's very specific with how He wants the sacrifices done. And the fat portion belongs to the Lord. But this servant under priest orders is coming along, and he's saying, "Cut off." Separate before even the fat is burned and give the priest long meat. Fat and all. This is the heavy implication of the text. He's not just saying before the fat was burned to give you a timeline. He's saying they're taking fat from God. They're taking God's portion for themselves. Because they don't want boiled meat. They want, they want raw meat so they can roast it. Also not prescribed in the law. So we have here two sons of the high priest serving in the temple in the presence of their father, the high priest. 
But instead of upholding the ordinance of God, ordinances of God and being satisfied with the portion set aside for them by God in the law, they are using their power and their position to take for themselves as much as they want. Not just as much as, much as they want, but how they want. That's a problem. The idea that somebody entrusted with the position to lead God's people in their worship and to do so in such a way as to not lead the people honorably but to cheat them and to cheat God because they're unsatisfied with that portion that God has given them. My friends, that's a spectacle. I don't know if you've been in a church where the leadership has behaved in a 21st century version of this. But if you have, I want you to know that those people, they were not representing God to you as commanded by the scripture. They were instead using the position that had been granted them to take advantage of you and of the people that they had been charged with leading and protecting. Serving. Far be it from any minister of the gospel to behave in such a way. As we say so beautifully this morning, the portion of every minister of the gospel, just like the portion of every member of the body, is Christ Himself. So that when there is nothing left, we as the people of God can stand fully satisfied in Christ. So at the end of the day, we can say, take the world, give me Jesus. And if that is not enough, then the problem is not the portion. Because in Christ, the Bible explicitly tells us we have all that we need. In Christ, we don't just have all that we need. We have all that is required for salvation, for sanctification, and for the accomplishment of the good deeds he has set for us to do from before even the foundations of the world. We have absolutely everything. We serve the king. We are children of the father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. How can we take from our brothers and sisters? How can we steal from those around us in such a way as to not reflect Christ, but instead so distort the image of Christ 
that we break the commandment because we are not bearing his name honorably. But we are instead bearing it and carrying it in vain. We are taking the name of the Lord to claim to be his servants and to treat our brothers and sisters and cheat them out of their portion. That is the essence of breaking the commandment. So we are taking the name of the Lord and rather than carrying it in the manner in which he has prescribed, we are carrying it through the mud. We are dragging it behind us, getting it dirtier and filthier and more stained with each and every step that we take. So Hophni and Phineas are not a problem of a time gone by. To be quite frank, Hophni and Phineas are a problem that persists and continue to plague the church today. Friends, we lay spitting distance from at least two churches led by men who make it their business to fleece the flock. Because they want more. Because they want better. But we should not look at that and simply say, shame on them. We should look at that and we should say, there but for the grace of God go I. Because the only thing keeping me, keeping you from becoming that type of person, from committing those types of acts, is the grace of God. So carry the name of the Lord faithfully. Carry the name of the Lord with you. Not, not proudly in a sense of you have accomplished something. Carry the name of the Lord humbly but boldly. Living in such a way as to attempt to glorify your king who gave you that name. Because remember, friends, were it not for him and his grace, we'd be stuck with the old name. We'd be stuck with the name we inherited from Adam. And that's the name of a fallen, sinful human being who hates God and loves everything that rebels against God. But by the grace of God, we have been adopted into a new family. And what we see here is a comparison, not just a comparison getting ready to be set up between Hophni Phineas and Samuel, but we're seeing a comparison between Hophni Phineas and Hannah and Elkanah. Whereas Hophni and Phineas are taking that which does not belong to them, that which has been set aside for the people or even for God. Hannah and Elkanah 
are not simply just giving out of their abundance. They're giving sacrificially. They're giving, they're giving so much it hurts. They're fulfilling vows that they made not in haste, but in earnestness. So Hophni and Phineas are taking. They're robbing. They're pilfering and pillaging. But Elkanah and Hannah, they're worshiping. They're praising, they're glorifying the Lord their God because they know that without him, the son they received would never have come. They know that the son of the promise is only the result of the grace of the king. And that points us inexorably forward to the true and better son of the promise. Who, with apart from the grace of God, would not have come. And apart from the faithfulness of God, would not have been offered up. And who, apart from the love from love of God, would not have saved you. Hophni and Phineas are taken. Hannah and O'Connor are worshiping. Worshiping and giving of what they want most in the world. Trusting God, knowing that God is faithful. And that he will not leave them with less than he took from them. So verse 16 says, If the man said to him, the man offering the sacrifice, said to him, They must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire. Brief pause there. The man giving the sacrifice knows and fears the Lord more than the priests and the servants of the priests who claim to be serving him. Then the servant would say, No, but you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. These men aren't content even with robbing the people and robbing God. They want what they want and they want it now. And they'll take it however they have to. Now we read that. And truth be told, Maybe it's the man inside of me. Maybe it's the American inside of me. Wants to rise up and say, come and get it. Let's go. But these people, even when it seemed like very clearly their leaders were wrong, they still wanted to honor the Lord. And so they gave freely and 
though somewhat begrudgingly and hesitantly, still willingly. But the result of this is, I think, what disgusted God to his core. And we see that in verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Your translation might have it put slightly differently. That's okay, because I think both possible translations are correct. The idea here being is that Hophni and Phineas, by their very actions, despised the offering of the Lord and treating it with contempt. And their actions had the result of causing the people to hate the offering of the Lord. These actions weren't just, it didn't stop with filling their stomachs. But the consequences and the echoes reverberated through the people of Israel, causing them to hate the offering of the Lord. They didn't want to get it because they knew what was coming. They knew they were going to go there and the priests were just going to pervert it by taking more than, than was their portion. Even that portion, if that portion belonged to the Lord. So they hated it. They, your, your translation may say they abhorred it. That's a good word. I think that's fitting. The people aboard the sacrifice, the offering of the Lord, because they were being robbed in the name of the Lord. And friends, this Way heavy on our hearts for the simple reason of showing us what taking the name of the Lord in vain, not just what it can look like, but the havoc it can cause. We are not absolved of responsibility because God is sovereign. We are tasked, we are charged with obedience. We are charged with taking the name of the Lord and carrying it with us in an honorable and worthy manner. Because as it was said before, God may not need your good works, but your neighbor does. If you belong to the Lord, he has you picked out. He's got you petted. He has you in his loving grasp. And he's not letting go. But that very love is not a cause for complacency. It's a force of transformation. That love morphs us changes us from the inside out 
So much so that as we progress in the Christian walk, we walk a little bit less like the person we were and a little bit more like the person who saved us. The change may be imperceptible day by day. But for the Christian, you look back over 20 years, would be a world of difference. So we are, so we are commanded. There are the Ten Commandments. They're not the Ten Suggestions. We are commanded to carry God's name faithfully and to fail to do so to despise the offering of the Lord. The offering he made on the cross that cost him so dearly but was an act of worship by which, in which, and through which we are not just called to worship but enabled to worship. And running the other way isn't just us despising the offering of the Lord. It'll cause others to despise the offering of the Lord. May it not be said of any one of us on that final day that we did not live for Christ. But rest in the knowledge that if Christ has begun the work in you, he will complete it. For he has promised to do so. So if you leave with nothing, leave with this. We are commanded to obey. And by the grace of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are enabled to obey. Pray for the child of God. Your obedience will grow. And your obedience is sure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne of mercy and grace, Lord, to lift your name on high. God, to worship and serve you, to praise your name, Lord, and to ask you to enable us to take your name and carry it faithfully. Lord, we don't just see a good example of this in your Son. We see the empowering work to accomplish this in your Son. Though, Lord, we know that this side of heaven, we will not and cannot accomplish this perfectly. 
but by your grace, through your spirit, which rests upon your people, we can grow day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. Growing in obedience as Christ was obedient. Growing in holiness as you are holy. Growing in love as you are love. Be with us today, Lord. May your word blossom and bloom in us and work out through us from the inside out obedience and holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.